Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. See, it's things like this which are why Anthony Fauci should recognize that just because somebody invites you to go on television or invite you to do a radio interview, or invite you to do a newspaper interview, you don't always have to say, yes, I am looking at the text of an interview he did with NPR five or six days ago. All right, five or six days ago. Here's the headline. Fauci expects surge in vaccinations to keep a fourth coronavirus wave at bay. And he goes on in the interview with NPR, which he, by the way, repeated as recently as last Sunday, doing interviews saying, no, we're the, look, we, we understand that, you know, the, the numbers of COVID cases are increasing in a couple states. But what it looks like, we, we can't let our guard down, but it looks like we're not looking at a surge because vaccinations are outpacing this. All right. That, that's what he said to NPR. That's what he said in several interviews over the course of the weekend. So today he decides to go on CNN and I'm looking at the interview um, now in contrast to what he said last week and in what he said Sunday. Now the U.S. this is his quotation today. The U.S. is at risk from a new surge. Um, you know, it, it, the surge seems to want to increase. And I, I point this out. Only because I think one of the things that has hurt us over the course of the last year in dealing with COVID has, has been the mixed messages. And believe me, I understand that science changes. I, I understand that originally they, they said we don't wear masks because they, they didn't get the, the so-called experts didn't understand the way this was transmitted. Remember, and then they also, we, we had all the hazmat stuff every time, you know, there was contact. Well, I don't know if you were paying attention to it, but in the last week, CDC came out and said, look, there's almost no chance that people pick up COVID from from the, the surfaces. So all these people out in the hazmat suits, sanitizing, putting all these chemicals in the shopping carts and stuff, you don't need to do that. All right. But that that's the, the science that's changed. They were wrong. They thought it was one thing. And now the science has changed and, and, and it's another. And I think that's one of the things that has inspired perhaps some, I don't know, distrust in the so-called experts. But I understand things Things change, and there's a lot of stuff that we ended up getting wrong. In the Milwaukee area, for example, originally, and it's a small thing, but the Milwaukee Health Department says, no, you can't have tailgating. And as we talked about on multiple occasions in this program, that 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 was a dumb policy. It never made any sense. You can drive together to the baseball game in your car not wearing a mask. You can sit next to somebody in your car. You can sit with your family at home, and you don't wear a mask, but you can't stand behind your car and grill out a couple brats. It never made any sense. And I think, you know, to their credit, the Milwaukee Health Department recognized that this was just dumb. It didn't make any sense. And so they, they retracted it. And so you get credit for that. But I, again, I'm looking at this story. A couple days ago, Anthony Fauci all over the news. No, you know, we can't let our guard down, but it doesn't look like there's going to be another surge today. OK, well, now there's going to be a surge. And my only point is maybe if you're trying to I don't get some degree of consistency and not motivate people to question the information they're getting from authorities. 
maybe you want to concentrate on a more consistent message. And maybe that means you don't do every interview that comes along where you change your opinion from day to day or from week to week. Because at some point in time, while you say, well, the science keeps changing, well, the science shouldn't change, you know, every couple days. And maybe the response is, gee, I don't know if there's going to be a new surge. Instead of, yes, there's going to be a surge. No, there's not. Which brings me to what I want to start off with. A number of major events in the summer have, of course, been canceled, both nationwide and certainly here. You have most of the ethnic festivals, with the exception of Irish Fest, that have now been canceled. Summerfest pushed back to September. They're, they're hoping they can do it. Well, the Wisconsin State Fair is, is the next really big summer event that is still on the schedule. It's on the schedule for, again, early August. State Fair is an event that draws about a million people. And as we have spoken about before, in order to do State Fair, you you can't, it doesn't make any sense to try to do State Fair at 50% capacity because you can't generate enough revenue. I mean, in order for it to make economic sense for the vendors, for example, that to pay the fees that they have to pay, well, what happens is that they have to expect that there's going to be a certain there's going to be a certain crowd that's going to be there. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense for the vendors to go. So it's very very difficult to say, okay, we're going to have an outdoor festival like a state fair, spend all the money we have to to put it on and yet say we're going to limit capacity to 50 percent or or less so it seems to me when you look at state fair it's pretty much of a kind of an all or nothing sort of thing and one of the things the officials at state fair are trying to figure out is if we if we go if we decide that by by august there's going to be enough confidence and there's going to be enough people who've had vaccines if we run the state fair in august will will people come and so they're, they've got a survey that they posted, and they're, they're asking various questions. Um, do you plan to attend the 2021 Wisconsin State Fair? If the Wisconsin State Fair does take place, how would you view companies who sponsor events or attractions like the State Fair? Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is from my perspective as somebody who had COVID in November, who's had his first shot and is getting his second shot next Wednesday. All right? that, that, that is my plan. I, this is somebody who has also traveled. I've been on, you know, airplanes, round trip airplanes, probably three or three times, I think, maybe four times, I forget, you know, since last fall. I would have no hesitation at all broadcasting from the state fair i would have no hesitation going to the state fair and if the state fair does take place i would be i would be standing there applauding the companies who were sponsoring the events and attractions like the state fair saying thank you for helping us get back to some sense of normalcy but obviously this is a big issue with the state fair because they don't want to go ahead and do this and schedule it if nobody's going to come 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line i would unhesitatingly attend and broadcast from the state fair if we decide to do that like we've done almost every year that i've been here with the exception of last year if the state fair goes on, would you go? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so the, the state fair is is doing a survey because they're trying to decide whether or not it makes sense 
to go ahead and have State Fair 2021. And part of the factor is, if they have it, will people come? You know, how comfortable are people going to be? Because as we've discussed before, you, you State Fair, Summerfest, these are these events that it, it almost makes no economic sense. Forget almost. It makes no economic sense to go ahead and have them if you're going to only be able to have 30% capacity or 40% capacity because they're not going to be able to generate enough revenue to cover costs. In addition, even if you have it and you have full capacity, if people aren't going to come, if people are still afraid, oh, I, I don't... I I don't think I'm going to be able to go. Well, that makes no sense then to, to have it anyways. If you know why, why stage something if nobody's going to come? Now, from my perspective, as somebody who had COVID, recovered, in, and I was lucky. Look, I did not have any sort of adverse reactions to me. Very, very mild case. I still have the antibodies. I've had one shot of the vaccine, and I get my next one next Wednesday. I've been on airplanes. I have traveled. I am not afraid of catching COVID personally again. And so, yeah, the, the answer is if they stage State Fair and our management said, Jeff, do you have any hesitation at all going out and working it? My answer would be, yeah, heck no. I'm, 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 I'm there. And as somebody who loves State Fair, I, I would, I would attend it. I would feel comfortable attending it. How about you? Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Since I'll be fully vaccinated, I would probably go. And if they had Alice Cooper come back, I would definitely go. Okay. So, but, but I guess to that point, it, if, if there was, if there was a show, for example, in the Alice Cooper, I assume he played in the, uh, like at the, at the track at the, this main stage there when he was here last time? Yes, sir. Okay. So yes. th- there you're in a situation where you're, you know, you're sitting in the racetrack or you're in folding chairs and stuff. If there was a performer, Alex Cooper or somebody else that you wanted to see, you would go. You, that would be your plan. I would go, um, but I would probably avoid high-risk family members for two weeks after I did that. Okay, fair enough. No, th- thanks, Nicole. I mean, obviously, there are, are some of those decisions that you, you end up making. Um, Jeff, I sent in this survey this morning. We need the fare back, and they could probably extend the normal length. We need the freedom and the fun. Um, you know, that's from Jerry in Greenfield. Jeff, no, I will definitely not go to State Fair. On this summer, I can't control the satis- situation satisfactorily enough at State Fair with the crowds. Well, that's and see, that, that's what they're asking for, because in order to have State Fair, in order to make it work, th- there have to be crowds. And the question is going to be, do you feel comfortable or do you think in early August, and here we are in early April, so April, May, June, July, August. So in the case of four months, do you feel comfortable? Do you think you're comfortable being around crowds? For me, the answer would be yes. Um, Jeff, um, I would definitely go to the state fair under one condition. That condition is I did not have to wear a mask. If they have to wear a mask, I will not go. It gets too hot there at times to have to wear a mask. Well, that's an interesting point because it's state fair where the whole purpose is that you're there and you're walking around and you're eating and drinking stuff. It, I, I would agree. And you're, in many cases, you're outside. You're not always in, you're not always outside because you've got, for example, the, the stuff barn where people go and look and you've got the exhibit halls. But largely, in many cases, you're outside. But yeah, I, I, 
I agree. I think if you would say, okay, in August we're going to have that mask rule and it's 100 degrees, I think that that would, I think it would put off a number of people. And secondly, I think it would just be impractical uh, given the fact that almost everybody is eating and drinking. Jay and Grafton says, absolutely, I have both my shots. I would attend. Jeff, I would have gone last year if they had it. I am definitely in for this year. Jeff, how do you know if you still have antibodies? Just wondering, because I had a blood test. Last time I had my blood work done, I asked them to do it. And yes, I've got the COVID antibodies as well. Um, let's see. Uh, David and Glendale, um, let's see. Um, I would definitely not go to State Fair. Um, well, I, that's the, the choice. Jeff, I would have no hesitation about going, bring sanitizer, be support, be smart, and support all the advertisers and sponsors. Um, you know, yes. Um, Jeff, the State Fair survey didn't pose any questions about vaccinations. It just asked about masks and social distancing. If everyone were required to be vaccinated, I absolutely have no hesitation on attending. Well, I guess the question would be, again, what you can't guarantee that everybody's going to be vaccinated. Jeff, I might go, not sure yet. I would definitely avoid all the buildings. Even Train Fest in November in the Exhibition Center would be a no for me. It's always packed, and there are a lot of people from out of state. Um, somebody says, Jeff, is, is Irish Fest off? No, no. Irish Fest, is it's the only lakefront ethnic festival right now that's still scheduled to go on as scheduled in August. But State Fair would be the one that would come before that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Number of people saying, again, that the masks would be a determination. Jeff, I will absolutely go to State Fair if they open it up. The entire country needs to get back to work. The delays in commodities and lead times for things is way out of hand. It's driving the cost of everything up. Jeff, I'd go to the State Fair only if they required everyone to be vaccinated. Well, I don't I don't know that legally they could do that. Um, you know, th- these vaccine passports, that's that's not going to happen in Wisconsin. And I, I don't believe. But even more importantly, since it's a government run entity, I'm not sure legally they could require the um, things. Um, Jeff, I will definitely go to State Fair if it's held. Please let me bask in the sun with the smells of greasy food and smelly animals. It is my favorite time of the year. Well, it's one of my favorite times of the year as well. I just absolutely love it. Um, Let's see. Jeff, I would most definitely go multiple days. Where do I find this survey? Um, Okay. Um, And again, if you go to the Wisconsin State Fair, if you go to their webpage, they'll have access to it. Um, okay, Jeff, um, let's see. I am for going to the state fair. I understand what they want is a large attendance as possible. can be safe. Otherwise, it's not prop- profitable. I would wear a mask if it's, if it's required. But if they require vaccination cards, I will not go. Yeah, I don't think that you're going to get the vaccination cards. Like I say, since it's run by the government, I don't think legally the government can require vaccinations to attend that event that's my that's my off the tough off the the cuff sort of uh legal analysis let's talk to james on the south side hi james how you doing jeff good i, I think i'd go i'd go uh if, if you get 50 to 75 percent uh i don't think they're going to be able to get 100 percent probably for either one of those summer fest or state fair i enjoy both of them but uh i still would go i i think that they think just like you why not open it up uh and if they can do some type of safety type of stuff in that, uh, 
make all of us feel comfortable in that. Why can't we get back to normalcy? What the heck? I mean, uh, you, you know, if it's going to be less than fifty percent, no, I, I don't think that they're. I don't think they're going to make they would right. make money and and stuff like that. Well, you're going to see, and that, that's I, again that that's part of the key. If you now, I understand the the, the brewers are playing at twenty five percent capacity and and things like that, but. But if you talk to festival organizers, they will tell you that you need a certain critical mass in order to generate enough revenue to make it, it worthwhile. I mean, that you, you've got expenses. You've got to pay. You've got to hire the bands and things like that. And you depend on income from vendors. And the vendors say, okay, well, right, what, what are you going to charge us in rent? Well, okay, if the rent is $100, for, for the sake of our, our sense, and it's $100, we pay $100 based on a million people here, okay, well, what are you going to charge us if we expect that there might only be 400,000, that there only might be um, 400,000? So if you're going to have 40%, are you going to give us a 40% reduction in the rent? And then, of course, the dyna- you, you have to sit down and figure it out. Okay, if you're only going to have, you're only going to be able to charge 40% of what you normally did, all right, are you going to have enough money? Money to pay the bands and to stage it like you want to. These are these issues that are all out there. For me, if State Fair is there, I'm going to be there. If we're working from State Fair, I've got no hesitation being there at all. And, and yes, I will even come out during the breaks like we always do, and we'll shake hands, and we'll say hi, and I will thank you for listening to the program on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A lot of text. Jeff, um, I, I've already filled out this survey. I told State Fair that I would go without the mask requirement. I'd prefer they permanently change the State Fair date to mid-September because of the excessive heat. <laughs> and I, I, I sort of smile just because everybody wants to be a festival planner. Um, <laughs> that's it. Jeff, if State Fair is on, I'm coming out and I'm looking forward to shaking your hand. Well, that's from Mike. Absolutely. I love it. Jeff, I would go to State Fair in a heartbeat. I would be fine going even if they do not require masks. I am fully vaccinated and feel comfortable going to the events now. Jeff, I'm going to the EAA Air Adventure the last week of July. And of course, State Fair, if it occurs, I'm vaccinated and yet absolutely don't mind if they require masks indoors and try to keep people less congested than in the past um yeah uh let's see uh jeff since kids can't be vaccinated our family would probably choose to skip state fair this year um jeff absolutely will go regardless of vaccination i would not go if i have to wear a mask jeff do you think they'll try to prohibit screaming on rides like they do in disneyland laugh out loud i would hope not jeff i think we need to start getting back to normal the virus is not going to go away it will linger for numerous years and people really just uh going to not go in public are people really just not going to go to any public venue for the next five or ten years well especially once more and more people get vaccinated jeff i would most definitely go multiple days jeff i would love to go to state fair however i think it's wishful thinking of the fair committee if the county has a say in the matter they won't reach the amount of admissions needed to make it profitable enough to pay the bills well that's the i I don't know who ultimately gets to say whether that they whether it's since it's on state property, whether it's Tony Evers, I, I don't know exactly who ultimately makes the decision. But I think as a starting point, that's one of the things they're trying to find out now, that if they had it, would you go? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Bear with me for just a moment as I, as I bury the lead somewhat. But I want to. I was I was listening to President Biden's remarks, and I want to just offer a comment on what he said this morning, and then kind of localize it to something a survey that, that that came out yesterday for Wisconsin that to me just sort of misses the point. So President Biden and and gun control has always been one of his you know hot button issues so president biden came out and gave a relatively long speech this morning talking about things that he wanted to do uh, one of the things he and and i will say this i think that even gun rights advocates at some point in time you, you we should not be wasting energy arguing about angels on the heads of pins. I'll I'll give you an example. A year or two ago, there was the whole controversy about bump stocks. These were the things that for 25 bucks you could buy, and you essentially could mount them on on a rifle and turn the rifle into essentially a machine gun. Well, you, you can't legally buy machine guns without getting them registered and things like that. Well, my point was, and, and actually this is something that President Trump did by executive order, my point was, well, if, if you can't legally buy a machine gun, again, without jumping through all these hoops, you shouldn't be able to buy something for $25 that turns a, an otherwise legal gun into an illegal gun. So I that, to me, was something that made sense. There was a lot of talk this morning about these ghost guns, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. What, what ghost guns are is essentially they're, they're, they're firearms that people make at home. So you don't go and you don't buy the final firearm. The key building block for a ghost gun is a metal or polymer piece that houses the firing mechanism. It's what's called an unfinished receiver. You can buy it without a background check because the ATF doesn't classify it as a firearm. So you can you buy this receiver in the mail. You can finish the receiver with a, with a drill press or some metal cutting machine, and then you can add the remaining pieces and you can create a gun. So it doesn't have a serial number and things like that. And President Biden is saying I, he wants to he wants to essentially require some regulation of those. And this is one where, honestly, I don't have that much of an issue with it. But at the same time, if we're talking about gun violence in this country, um, in 2019, there were about 10,000 ghost guns recovered by law enforcement. And that doesn't mean that all those guns were used in crimes. My, my point is that the ghost gun aspect of gun violence in this country is, is, is a drop in the bucket. Just like the number of people who buy firearms at gun shows through otherwise not licensed federal firearms dealers and then use them for crimes, that it, does it does it happen? Well, yeah, it happens occasionally, but it's a drop in the bucket when it comes to dealing with with overall gun violence. And so, as I was listening to the president talk about you know his different proposals, and you know reasonable people can argue about some things and. We've discussed before and we will discuss in the future the idea of, you know, should you be able to sue gun manufacturers if some criminal takes a gun and uses a gun to hold up a bank? You know, is that the gun manufacturer's uh, problem and should they be sued for that? You know, we can have that discussion. We can have the discussion about, you know, whether or not you need these high capacity magazines. Do you really need a magazine that has 50 rounds in it as opposed to a magazine that has 10? And then, of course, the question is, right, given the fact that you know, you it, it takes you probably less than a second to to reload to take one magazine out and put another in. Does does that really make any difference when it comes to the, the type of mass shootings that you're trying to deal with? But reasonable people can discuss that and, and disagree. The thing that struck me about Biden's speech that was completely and totally missing is nowhere in the conversation did he talk about the criminals. Nowhere did he talk about 
mandatory minimum penalties for people who commit crimes with guns. Nowhere did he talk about longer prison terms for people who, who commit crimes with guns. The entire focus was on on the was on okay let, let's try to let's try to regulate the firearms and again i i think you know you, you can make an argument that yeah, maybe maybe you shouldn't have the ghost guns just like you shouldn't have the bump stocks but but at the end of the day isn't it the person who commits the crime shouldn't we be focusing on on that as well and i thought it was fascinating that the president really no conversation at all about our longer terms or let's finally say an enough is enough for when people you know get caught holding up the liquor stores or holding up the gas stations with the guns let let's talk about really having significant penalties do you realize that in these in Milwaukee county that 15-year-old who shot eight people at Mayfair Mall. If the judge gets her way, he's going to be tried as a juvenile. He's going to be treated as a delinquent. Now, the state is appealing that, and hopefully common sense will prevail. But no conversation at all about maybe we need to, to lock up for longer periods of time these people who are committing the gun crimes, which brings me to... A survey that that came out, uh, I think, yesterday by form, what was formerly Wisconsin Policy Research Institute. Now they call it the Badger Institute poll. And, and I found out about it because I had all these defense attorneys, these, these liberals that were sending me these notes. And and th- this is the Badger Institute is a um, it's it's a conservative think tank in general. And they came out with this poll saying an overwhelming majority of voters in the state want to reduce prison terms. They want to focus on preparing inmates for life after prison. They think we spend too much money on 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 putting people in prison. 70% of voters showed overwhelming agreement that the criminal justice system should ensure people are less likely to commit another crime. 86% of voters said the criminal justice system should help people become productive, law-abiding citizens. And, of course, then the idea is, well, this now we need major prison reform, which, to me, this is one of the dumbest, capital D, dumbest polls that I have ever seen. It's like saying, would you like to have van- be able to eat as much vanilla ice cream and pizza as you want without getting diabetes and not putting, not putting on weight? Because everybody's going to say yes. Would you rather... People, would you rather take money that we're spending right now putting people in prison, and would you rather spend that on trying to rehabilitate them or, or giving them second or third chances? Well, of course, the, the, the answer is, well, yeah, you'd rather people not commit crimes in the first place. But seriously, what do you do with the people that are out there committing gun crimes? What do you do with the people that are out there shooting up places like Mayfair Mall? What do you do with the 17-year-old who, after being a judge delinquent eight or nine times, gets gets out of secure detention, steals a car within 24 hours, blows through a red light, and hits and kills somebody. Are, are we going to say, well, we're not going to put this person in prison? Well, we'd, we'd, we'd rather spend the money rehabilitating him. Well, some people just flat out can't be rehabilitated. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to I, I want to use this poll as, as a starting point. Yes, I, I understand in a perfect world, nobody would commit crimes. And I understand that in a perfect world, 
we would rather say, okay, you have committed a crime, we want to take resources, and we want to make sure that you're not going to do it again. But the truth of the matter is, most people who are in prison, they're in prison because they've done something really terrible, or because they've committed crime after crime after crime after crime. Do we really want to lock fewer people up? Do you want more criminals, including dangerous criminals, out on the street? And my answer would be no. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, I agree with Biden, and I also agree with you. How about that? See, you know, people can come together. The violent criminals at any age are a problem and should be off the streets. They take advantage of second-chance situations and commit more crimes. We also have way too many criminals walking free with other active warrants. Let me let me make a point this. And like I say, there's this, what's really got me started is this survey out there yesterday that the former Wisconsin Policy Research Institute does. They ask people, they say, well, are we spending too much money on prisons? Would you rather have us spend less dough on, on prisons? And, of course, everybody says, well, yeah. But then the question is, well, what is what is the alternative? Here's a story, and this is from the local paper today. And again, I'm glad my producer is behind a glass window because this is the type of stuff that makes my head explode. Here's the story. Before removing the GPS bracelet he wore as a result of a juvenile offense, 16-year-old Brian Vaughn declared on Facebook that, quote, we're hopping fat first day off bracelet and we blank these streets up for the rest of 2018 and the whole 2019. Hours later, Vaughn was driving a stolen pickup with two passengers. They stopped to steal a woman's purse from the ground as she fought someone in the street. The teens fled amid gunshots and returned some too. Now, this kid has just gotten off his bracelet. Vaughn spread north, sped north on North 17th Street, stolen car, 80 miles an hour, blows a red light, crashes into another car at West Highland. Vaughn and his passengers run off. The other driver, a 41-year-old man, died. His passengers suffered serious injuries. Jury convicted Vaughn in February of seven felonies. Okay, so the criminal behavior doesn't end. The kid has just gotten rid of his GPS bracelet, multiple juvenile offenses, stolen car, blows through the red light at 80 miles an hour, hits and kills a 41-year-old man. Hits and kills a 41-year-old man. He runs off. All right. All right, here's what happens while he's fleeing. All right, three weeks later, the cops still haven't caught him. Vaughn was driving another stolen car when he led police who were looking for him because of the first fatal crash on a long, reckless chase through stop signs, traffic lights, past pedestrians, and into oncoming traffic before he was finally arrested and charged in the the fatal crash. Now, the record goes on and on and on. But in any event, what happened yesterday in Milwaukee County Circuit Court is a circuit judge sentenced Vaughn to 25 years in prison. Okay, 25 years in prison. Now, it's going to cost a fortune to the taxpayers to put this this guy in prison and to pay for him. So, all right, I, I get it. Would you rather spend that money some other way? Yeah, well, well, sure. Would you rather the 41-year-old man that he killed and the other passenger in the car that he seriously injured, would you rather they be alive or unhurt? Absolutely. But what do you do? 
I mean, it's, it's a practical matter. What, what do you do with a thug like this? What do you do with somebody who's been absolutely incorrigible? Do you say, well, we're going to give you another chance. We're going to send you back. We're going to try to rehabilitate you. Or do you recognize for some people their crimes are so terrible, you just have to warehouse them in order to protect the rest of us? Yeah, would you rather spend the money on trying to figure out how to rehabilitate some people? But sometimes the crimes are so bad or their background demonstrates because of the lengthy criminal history, they just can't be rehabilitated. So you need prisons. You need to protect society from these types of people. And I guess that was frustrating to me about the president's remarks as well. I didn't hear any conversations about what about the people who've made the decision to to take those various guns and to hold up the liquor stores or to shoot three people or stuff like that. Isn't there also a criminal justice component to it? Sean in Wauwatosa. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I I just I feel like there's the the mistaken idea out there that if we create more laws and make things illegal, that those things will be less likely to happen. If the people you're talking about had any respect for the laws at all, I'm pretty sure it's already illegal to shoot somebody with a gun. Uh, The idea that somehow making that gun illegal is going to change their mindset and they're going to go, well, yeah, I was going to shoot somebody, but it turns out now this gun is illegal, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it's just I don't see the logic. Well, I mean, I look, I, like, let's talk about the ghost guns. And, and, and thanks for calling. I mean, okay, so ghost guns, again, it's a very, very small – when you look at overall gun crime in the United States, it's a very, very small component of it. But, again, I, I look at that, and if the idea is we want to make it more difficult – for those people who are criminally inclined to get their hands on on the gun, oh, okay, you 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 put this in, and I don't think it's too much of a burden. Candidly, I don't think it's an unreasonable burden to the hobbyists who are putting them together. But but that's not where you're going to solve a significant portion of of gun crime because the my guess is that the vast majority of criminals they're not assembling the guns themselves. They're they're stealing the guns or they're buying them on the black market or they're getting them from other other sources. So if you want to do that, you're nibbling around the edges. And I guess I don't have a problem with nibbling around the edges in that regard. But if we're going to be serious about this, don't we need to figure out a way to hold people uh, accountable? And isn't that this element? Instead of simply saying, well, gee, we, we, we don't want to spend as much money on incarcerating people. And, and isn't it better to try to spend the money on rehabilitating people? Well, okay, but that assumes that people can be rehabilitated. And, and sometimes that's just not the case. It also so ignores the fact that I think what you need to do is recognize that people need to be punished for bad behavior. And when it comes to the use of firearms, that that's where I think you have to start saying we're we're. We're going to build the prisons. And I, I really believe, and again, it depends on how you ask the poll questions. If the choice was, if you have somebody who has multiple convictions, who has run through a red light in a stolen car and hit and killed somebody, do you believe that person should be in prison for 15 years? Or would you be in favor of letting him out after two um, and spending money trying to rehabilitate him? My guess is 85% of the people would say, no, we, we want to lock the guy up. Of course you want to lock the guy up. That's the the dynamic which is out here. You want to try to find this balance. And yes, I think the people, when it comes to gun control or firearm control, you know, 
we, we should be able to come to reasonable accommodations on stuff. But if you don't also tie it into major league crime control and recognize that we have prisons for a purpose, and one of those purposes is to protect us from people who commit really, really bad acts, and also to discourage them from doing that again. Because if you don't have the threat of prison, nothing's going to stop them. And that's where I come down on this. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. A couple of people texted me and said, are you going to talk about the fact that the, the state Supreme Court striking down the, the statewide mask order, which was illegally imposed by the governor, that that might cost you know, millions of dollars in federal food aid to Wisconsin? And I, I guess my response to that is, well, first of all, I think it's something that should be able to be worked out, and it should be able to be something that can be worked out relatively easily. Secondly, the the law is the law. The governor didn't have the legal authority to continue a perpetual state of emergency, and so that the Supreme Court, at least in my opinion, got it got it right. So that that's. Just because, okay, this is the way the feds are going to punish us if you don't have this emergency in place. Well, then the question would be perhaps to President Biden, why are you going to punish the state of Wisconsin for this if you feel this is so important? But the bigger point is if 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 the governor doesn't have the legal authority under the law, and I believe the court decision is correct, well, then it's if, if there are consequences, there there are consequences, period. All right, but but here is something I, I do want to mention, and it's actually a very, very interesting story. In in the Journal Sentinel, and I think it's just one of their breaking news stories. And this, to me, ties in with with what the state could have been doing during the course of the pandemic that it is not. I think one of the absolute disgraces, and there's a lot of blame to go around. If you want to blame, you know, former governors going back to Tommy Thompson or Jim Doyle or Scott Walker for some of this, I I think you can make that case. If you want to blame the legislature, you can probably make that case. And if you want to blame Tony Evers, you can certainly make that case for the the interminable delays in people who were entitled to unemployment not getting it. Remember, they're starting to dig out of the backlog, but you would have these situations where people who were entitled to unemployment were, were just trapped in this system for month after month after after month and you know we did and they were entitled to it and we you know we would open up the phone lines we did multiple shows on that people would call in saying hey that they've been unemployed for five months six months whatever and they're they're stuck in the limbo that was the the state department of workforce development and their inability to to process these things well this is another story according to the milwaukee journal sentinel and get this the headline is my kids deserve to eat wisconsin officials fail to get food assistance to thousands of poor children. Now, let me just say, this this has nothing to do with state's courts, Supreme Court mask mandates. This is the state failing to get money to children to eat. Here, here's what happens. This is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Wisconsin has failed to send food assistance to tens of thousands of poor children who are supposed to be getting extra help because they have been learning at home during the coronavirus pandemic. Okay, so these are kids who are are stuck at home because they're in, in virtual learning. Under a federal program created last spring, the families of students who qualify for subsidized meals in Wisconsin, 
and that would be, you know, generally speaking, the poor families, um, they're supposed to receive $6.82 to cover food for every day their children are not in school buildings and are instead learning virtually. So this goes back to the CARE Act. It goes back to last spring. If you quali- if your kid would qualify for a subsidized or a free meal, you're supposed to be getting $6.82 to help feed the child. All right, makes sense. This amounts to about $1,250 for the school year for students who are attending school virtually. All right. But, this is the Journal Sentinel, tens of thousands of students haven't gotten their benefits because the State Department of Public Instruction, wait for it, didn't collect the addresses of all students. It also has not determined whether nearly 500 schools are holding classes virtually, even though the state promised to do so months ago. So there's all this money that's around that's supposed to go to the poor kids. It's the families of the poor children to help them eat. It's not because the state didn't collect the addresses of the students and that they haven't determined whether nearly 500 schools are holding classes virtually. Okay, pardon my French here, but what the heck are they doing? If, if, if the state of Wisconsin and the Department of Public Instruction, what are they doing if they're not even keeping track of whether schools are holding vir- classes virtually or not? The state doesn't have addresses for about 78,500 students who may be eligible for the program. They have no clue whether, they have no clue and no way of getting money to 78,500 students. It's unclear how many of them qualify for benefits because it depends on whether they've been attending school virtually or not. So it's not necessarily all 78,500. Maybe it's 50,000, maybe it's 60,000, maybe it's 70,000. We don't know because the state of Wisconsin doesn't um, know. Uh, Sherry Tussler, who's the executive director of Hunger Task Force, said she's frustrated state officials hadn't done more in recent months to make sure they got aid to as many families as quickly as possible. Why did we wake up one day and realize that we didn't have addresses? <laughs> yeah, what have we been doing for the last year? The Health Services Deputy Secretary Julie Willems Van Dyke would not answer questions about why the needed information was not collected sooner. During a Wednesday interview, a spokesperson for Democratic Governor Tony Evers did not say what steps he wants the state to help take fix the problem. Okay, so, you know, we're, we're complaining about, well, okay, now the state might lose out on, on millions of dollars of food assistance. And like I say, it strikes me that that's a relatively simple problem to, to solve one way or another. But it's a problem that does need to be solved. But here you've had, here you've had this money that has been sitting there that is supposed to go to help feed kids and the state has apparently done nothing to try to determine if these kids are eligible and to try to figure out who is eligible and to try to figure out where they might be. This is the type of stuff, and to me, this if the story is true, and again, I don't know if it's 78500 or 60000 or 40000 but we, we have all this money that's sitting around that over the last year has supposed to been used to help kids eat and the state has done nothing on it because it didn't occur to anybody that, gee, maybe we should try to figure out where these kids are and get their addresses, or maybe we should try to determine whether their schools are are virtual or in-person or whatever. 
And then the story goes on to talk about how, you know, they've got these parents that are trying to call and get on the list and nobody can give them any sort of answers at all because they didn't track the Department of Public Instruction, hasn't bothered to track who's virtual and who's in person, which again raises this question of what what is the state doing? I mean, you want to talk about useless. What is it doing if it has no idea whether schools are in person or virtual, especially if there is money to be had? I, I bring this up just because it's a Another one of these frustrating examples of how how you've got these government programs that, that are out there and they're designed to help people. And then you have these bureaucrats who are apparently clueless about them and no intention at all or no idea at all about how to implement them. So you've had a lot of kids, tens of thousands of kids whose parents were entitled to some aid that, that was out there that was available to them. And they haven't gotten them because the state has no clue at all. Give me a break. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged and investor confidence, well, it was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management and WTMJ Steve Scafidi shared advice and tips during a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World. If you missed the event and want to watch the recording or submit questions to Annex, it's really easy. All you have to do is visit the features page at WTMJ.com. All right, I I said earlier that um, next Wednesday I'm scheduled to get my second dose of of the vaccine. Uh, so that would be three weeks today. I, I, I have COVID antib- I had COVID in November. I have COVID antibodies. I made the decision. I want to get the vaccine. I got the vaccine and, and knock on wood, I had absolutely no adverse reactions at all. No, no fever, no chills, no, no nothing. As a matter of fact, that the shot, when I had the shingle shot a year or two ago, it, it hurt like heck for a day or two. I, I heard these horror stories about the shot. My, my arm was, I, I guess that night when I rolled over on it in bed, maybe once or twice, I noticed it, but no soreness at all. Now, this is knocking on wood, because I'm not trying to tempt fate for what happens when I go back and get my second shot next Wednesday. But one of the things that's out there is that the the immunity, the big numbers, the 94, 95% efficiency and immunity, that kicks in after you hit, after you get the second shot. For some people, particularly people who've had COVID, they, they say the reaction to the second shot can be can be worse than the reaction to the first shot. And what's I found interesting is apparently what's happening is there are a number of people who are declining to get the second shot, not declining to be vaccinated, right? Because they're we're doing three million vaccinations, you know, every day or, or more. And that's I think that's very important. And I'm one of these guys that encourages people to get vaccinated. But a number of people are apparently making the decision to just like leave it at one dose. Say, okay, I got the first shot and maybe they, they had a little bit of a reaction to it. Their arm was sore. Maybe they had chills, something like that. And they're making the decision not to go back and to get that second shot. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I confess that this makes, this makes no sense to me. If I understand, I guess, if, if you're an anti-vaccination person or you've got or you've got questions about this. Now, again, I encourage people to get vaccinated. And in my my personal experience thus far, there's no reason not to get vaccinated. I didn't have an adverse reaction to it. But I understand that there's a variety of reasons that people have for 
not getting the vaccination. I'm, I hope to try to, I hope that they come around. I hope we can talk them out of that because the more people get vaccinated, I think the closer we are to getting back to normal. And Lord knows I want to get back to normal. But there is a subset of people who decide they're not going to get that second shot. And, and I, for one, I just flat don't understand that. Absent Absent, you know, you have such an overreaction that, you know, you're in the hospital for a couple days. Our number is 855-616-1620. There's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if you've made the decision to get vaccinated, is there any way that you're not going back and getting that second shot? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I'll tell you, in all honesty, my wife had much more of an adverse reaction to the first shot than, than I did. And, 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 you know, I know she kind of toyed with that. And then ultimately, partly at my urging and partly because she's a really smart woman, she made the decision, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm just, let, let's get it. Her reaction to the second dose was a lot less severe. But I, I just, for the life of me, once you've made the decision to get the shot, why wouldn't you get both of them? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have been vaccinated, did it ever occur to you not to go and just go the whole way and get that second dose? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I pride myself on at least trying to be consistent. And one of one of the things early on, when right after Joe Biden became president, it was talking about the rollout, and there was a vaccine shortage. If you remember, one of the things that was being toyed around with was the idea of, in order to get people more people vaccinated, what we will do is we'll, we'll vaccinate people. And then we, we won't withhold vaccine for, for their second shot. And so we'll make sure as many people as possible get the first shot. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hope that three weeks later or four weeks later, depending on which of the vaccines you get, we'll, we'll hope there's enough. And I was very critical of that because all the science behind the vaccines says that um, all the science behind the vaccine says that you, you, you need both to achieve that that critical level of of protection. And and yes, one shot is going to give you more protection than if you had no shots, but at the same time, if if this is the idea, if you know you need both doses and this is the way the stuff was tested and this is the stuff the way the stuff was developed, if you need both doses, the government would would be wrong in saying, "Okay, hey, we will we'll make a trade-off and we'll get more people with the one shot, but then we can't guarantee the second shot." I think that was wrong. The flip side though is is what's going on now where you have people who are apparently making the decision that they that they they don't you know that they don't want to have that that second shot maybe because they had a little bit of an adverse reaction maybe because they figure that they don't need it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to live with 50% uh, or 60% or whatever it is, and I don't want to go back for the second shot. To me, that's that's no way. Uh, Jeff, the one shot, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, was the only way to go for me. I would have not taken the two-shot option. Um, I had mine on 326, March 26th, with no side effects. See, that's not, um, you know, I, that's not, to me... If if the way it to me that's like going in and getting antibiotics. You've you've got an infection. 
and the doctor says, okay, here, here's your prescription, and you've got, you've got, you know, you've, you've got, I want you to take two pills a day for the next five days. I've given you 10 pills. And so you say, okay, fine. And you, you go and you take, you know, the first two days, you take a couple pills and your, your infection seems to clear up and you're feeling a little better. And then you make the decision, okay, well, I'm not going to take the rest of them. Well, okay, it was prescribed for the full week. And the reason they prescribe that is because they want to make sure they killed the, the infection. That, that's it. So if you wouldn't say, well, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm not going to follow the instructions and I'm going to stop taking the antibiotics. Nobody in their right mind would, would do that. You know, you, you, you take the prescription. The doctor says, take it for five days. You, you take them for, for five days. To me, this is the same sort of situation. You go there and or if you're supposed to get both of the shots, you end up getting both of the shots. Jeff, my mother had really bad side effects from the first shot. Extreme fatigue, joints locking up on one side of her body as well as other pain. It really caused, caused her to second guess whether she should get the second shot. She still has another week or so before she's due for the second one. She has not made a decision yet on that. Well, I mean, I, I guess I mean, I know people have different reactions to it, and some people say you, you get, depending on whether you had COVID or not, sometimes the reaction after the second shot is worse than the first. I don't know. Maybe I'll be singing a different tune come next Thursday or next Friday. But the, the, the truth is, if you're going to make the decision to get the vaccination, don't understand you know, why why you wouldn't go ahead and just get the full degree of protection and then not have to worry about it at all moving forward. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Another reason not to live in the city of Milwaukee. That this, the local media is now starting to focus on what a train wreck that the new city attorney is. For years and years, the city of attorney in in, in Milwaukee, and the city attorney, it, it's unlike the district attorney, which is John Chisholm, who who. That, that's a countywide office and handles criminal prosecutions and things of the like. The, the city attorney, it is, it is mostly civil. They represent the, the city of Milwaukee in lawsuits and things like that. There's also, there, there is an enforcement aspect. If you, if you get a parking ticket or, or you get a, a speeding ticket and you want to fight it, it, it would be in, in, in civil court and municipal court in the city of Milwaukee. So they, and they represent the city of Milwaukee. For years and years, the city attorney was a guy named Grant Langley, who was a really, really good guy. And Langley, well, he was sending all sorts of signals after years and years that he was going to retire, and then he changed his mind, decided to run again. And and he, he got two different opponents. And one of the opponents was a guy named Tierman Spencer, who nobody had ever heard about. Nobody in the legal community knew who this guy was. But he was apparently very connected in the, the minority community. And, and he came on and, and he beat Langley very, very handily. And a lot of people were saying, okay, what, what's going to happen? Well, the way he's run the city attorney's office has been an absolute, what's the phrase, dumpster fire s- since then. And there, there's been story after story. He's got one guy that he hired for the office, apparently, who at the same time he's collecting a six-figure salary from the city. He, he's also trying murder cases that he had before he came to the city attorney's office. It's just, it's it's just a mess, and, I, and the list goes on and on. But but here's the story in the Journal Sentinel that really got my attention: probe into complaints finds Milwaukee City Attorney Tierman Spencer not subject to the city's anti-harassment policy. Now, hear this out. A city investigation into allegations 
that the city attorney, this is the guy who represents the city in, in various lawsuits, a city investigation to allegations that Spencer, that Tierman Spencer harassed female staffers, including putting his hand on the knee of one woman and commenting on another's very nice calves found that the city's anti-harassment policy does not apply to him as an elected official. So what, what they said, okay, so, so here you have the guy, the city attorney, who is accused of sexual harassment, put, putting his hand on the knee of one woman, going up to another woman and saying, you've got really nice calves. This is 2021. I mean, who, who does that in any sort of workplace, much less if you're the city attorney who's going to be responsible for, I don't know, defending the city when, say, employees come and they, they bring you know sexual harassment claims and things of the like. So what, what they apparently found, and, and it might be correct, is because he's an elected official, this does not apply to him right but but it doesn't mean of course that you just because you're an elected official you you can't you know you you can't be sued or the taxpayers can't be sued what it means is that apparently that the city can't discipline you because you're an elected official so um apparently the report said Com- but said, so even though they can't do anything, the city can't discipline him, comments based on gender, gender identity, physical appearance, and body parts and touching are not appropriate workplace behavior, to which I would say, gee, no kidding. And and you would think that the city attorney would know that. Now, in, in fairness, um, the, the city attorney, who, like I say, it's, he's a train wreck. He's just an absolute train wreck. Denied the allegations, calling them fabricated stories. He said that staffers began making complaints about him just weeks after he took office, saying that these were disgruntled workers. Okay, well, here, <clears throat> here is my question to the, to the left in Milwaukee. All right, if it is true that you have the, the new city attorney who is putting his hand on the knees of one woman woman, and commenting that the other one has very nice calves. Where, where, where is the outrage? Where is the, the, the nine to five groups? Where where are the people expressing outrage about this if this is in fact happening? Or on the, alter, or the flip side, if you have women that are lying about this, okay, why, why aren't they being called out? Now, I don't know what the truth is one way or the other, but but it appears that once again you have the person who is ultimately responsible for enforcing, I don't know, the, the sexual harassment laws or defending the city of Milwaukee if other employees end up getting sued. And it understands that he um, he he finds himself, you know, up to his neck in various allegations. He says, "I'm I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm I don't think anybody should harass anybody. How about that?" Well, yeah, I think that that would be kind of good advice. But again, this is just, it's a complete and total train wreck. He says he was deeply disappointed that personnel officials released the records from the investigation because heaven heaven knows that we wouldn't want the public being able to find out that the guy who's elected as one of the top law enforcement, top legal officials in the city of Milwaukee may be allegedly harassing employees and is at least potentially going to get off the hook because he, he doesn't qualify under the hara- anti-harassment policy. It's just kind of mind-blowing, but I bring it up because it's just, this is just the latest 
thing that's going on in the city attorney's office, which just is a complete and total mess. And the bottom line of it all is that it's going to be, once again, the taxpayers in the city of Milwaukee who are going to be on the hook if some of these staffers, for example, feel that they've been harassed. Because even if the city anti-harassment policy doesn't apply to the elected official, doesn't stop them from being able to sue him and or sue the city, and ultimately, you know, it's the city taxpayers which could be liable. Just another example of how, at least in my opinion, uh, the voters in Milwaukee got it really, really wrong in the last election, especially when it comes to the city attorney's office. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. A lot of times when I'm planning the show, I have an idea where you're going to be on a particular issue. That doesn't mean you're always going to agree with me on this. But this is one I'm not sure where people are. Remember the story in February. Uh, The entire country was riveted by the fact that Tiger Woods involved in in a massive single-car automobile crash. You will remember the story. He was apparently staying somewhere in the, the, the hills in Los Angeles. And if you've ever driven around there, there's aspects of Los Angeles that are really flat, and then there's the, these the hills that surround L.A., and they're like winding roads that you go down to get to places. And he was apparently driving early one morning for heading to a, to a photo shoot or something, and he lost control of the SUV he was driving and went off the road, hit a, a tree. Uh, the accident report said that apparently he's driving in a 45-mile-an-hour zone. They estimate by going and doing the accident reconstruction and looking at the black box that was in the car, you know, that, that measures speeds, they estimate that as he was driving in this 45-mile-an-hour speed limit area, he was going more than 80 miles an hour. They say that Woods was traveling between 84 and 87 miles per hour when he lost control on this winding stretch of road, crossed over a median, hit the curb on the opposite of the road. The vehicle struck a tree at an estimated 75 miles an hour. Damn, 75 miles an hour, and went airborne, eventually stopping in some some brush. Um, they say the primary causal factor for the collision was driving at a speed unsafe for the road and an inability to negotiate the curve of the roadway. In other words, he hit the curve going way, way, way too fast. The only reason he is alive today, in my opinion, is the fact that he was, you know, he, he was wearing his shoulder harness and his seatbelt. If, if he hadn't been, there's no question in my mind that Tiger Woods would, would be dead. So it, it's, it is a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle that he was involved in this type of crash at this rate of speed, and he was able to, I mean, survive it. Now, will, will he ever play competitive golf again? My my guess is, you know, probably probably not. But but it doesn't matter. He, he's he, he's he's going to be alive, you know. And you know, it was major surgery and stuff like that. But um, so now they've released the police report. There's been a degree of controversy because. California authorities have now announced that they there's not going to be any chart. He's not going to be cited for excessive speed. He's not going to be cited for reckless driving. They're they're not going to they're they're, they're going to do they're going to do nothing at least with regard to any sort of citations or bringing him into the criminal justice system. Again, despite the fact that they they show that you know he was driving in a fashion that I think would would otherwise fairly be described as reckless. Now, California officials say, well, we're not doing this because typically 
typically we don't bring charges unless uh, for like speeding or reckless driving unless there was a law enforcement or some other witness that that saw it. And in this case, nobody really saw the thing. They, they kind of saw the aftermath. But they're making a decision. We're not going to issue a citation. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I got a number of emails about this yesterday, people thinking, well, okay, Mr. Former Federal Prosecutor, how do you feel about this? I guess my reaction, and feel free to disagree, my reaction was, I, I don't have a problem with it. If if it had been a multiple car collision and he had injured somebody else and a, a third party if there had been a passenger in his car or something well, well then I think maybe there's a more compelling reason for bringing the charges in this particular situation yes he was speeding yes he was driving recklessly but what does a citation really really accomplish I mean he's lucky to be alive um, it, it's not my, my guess is whether it's his insurance or some other insurance, they're they're going to they're they're going to make they're going to make the repairs and fix the tree and do all that sort of stuff. So, from a perspective of of a citation, you know, giving him a ticket for excessive speed or whatever, I, I don't know that I, I I don't think that it accomplishes anything. And to me, it's kind of piling on in a situation where you have somebody single car accident. He's lucky to be alive. He's lucky to be able to get away from that. And so do, do we accomplish anything by giving him a speeding ticket? And and I say that about Tiger Woods, and I would hope that if it was somebody else that, again, was involved in a single car accident, if there was other people involved, it would be a different dynamic. But is is this a miscarriage of justice in your mind that he's not getting a speeding citation? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, what, what California authorities are saying is typically they, they would not give other people a citation, at least that's what they say, unless unless the act was witnessed by a police officer or by some other third party. That if they did the accident recreation and it found this, they typically would not issue citations. I don't think it's a huge miscarriage of justice, but what do you think? Okay, let's start with uh, Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, if they can reconstruct the accident and estimate that he was going uh, twice the speed limit, or I think he should get a ticket. I mean, he could have killed somebody, and that's preferred. He's driving recklessly. He could afford to have a driver. You know, right. he had that thing in uh, Florida where right. he didn't even know where he was because he was uh, doing pain pills. I think it's a bad message. You know, it's kind of... Okay, well, well tell he, me, what, what do you think... He broke the law. Well, he did, but, I mean, we, we do have... You know, people speed all the time, and they, they don't get citations. Now, they don't speed and involve this. What, what do you think, as a practical matter, what is giving him a, a speeding ticket... Accomplish? Yeah, I mean, he pays the the few hundred dollars in fines. But what, what what do you think it accomplishes by giving him the speeding ticket? Well, I think for one, uh, it might shame him a little. He might say, "Well, I was wrong. I shouldn't drive like that again. It shouldn't be." Uh, he he just gets away with it. I mean, well, we don't but, know but, if but, he'll but, be well, able to drive. Well, that, that's what I was going to say, Bob. Is I mean, it's a, <laughs> I mean, do you, I mean, the guy. Hits a tree at 75 miles an hour. The car goes airborne, flips over, and he's extracted by, like, the jaws of life or, or whatever. And is probably, probably, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, most likely never going to play competitive golf again. Do you, I mean, does, like, a speeding ticket 
really provide more of a deterrent than than that whole experience does? Well, I mean, obviously he could get you know he could get twenty lawyers yeah. to go into court and beat this, and yeah. obviously financially it is. I mean, obviously he did suffer extreme pain and oh, yeah. close to death. But I mean, he still broke the laws well, or yeah. norms, or he was reckless. He enda- yeah. endangered others, and yeah. you know, I, I just you'd give him the citation. Okay, I get it. it. No, thanks for calling. I get it. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell you the one, the, you know, the other side of this that, you know, of of different standards is the, the authorities in Florida. Who, um, oh, the guy who owns the the the, the Patriots, who was, you know. Uh, Participate going to the massage parlor and stuff, and gets caught up in the the sting operation there. And he hires all these expensive lawyers, and they just hit the local DA with so much paper that ultimately the case ends up going away. To me, that was kind of an outrage. I guess I, I look at a situation with Tiger Woods, and again, I, I think here, here's a guy who's paid a, a really really high price. And I guess yes, you could give him a speeding ticket, and he could get three points on his license or six points on his license or whatever. But I'm not sure that that's the deterrent. Um, Jeff, as long as he pays for emergency services and the cost of road and tree and surface repairs, I'm okay with no ticket. And I'm sure that that's going to be the case. Jeff, tickets are revenue generators for the community, and he needs to learn a lesson because of his past driving history. Well, I'm, again, I'm not sure what that I, – I, I'm, look, I'm all in favor. I'm one of these guys who, who argues that you bring charges for a deterrent basis – penalty but okay let's say the speeding ticket is is 300 bucks i don't know what it is it could be 100 could be 500 i mean the the, the guy crashed the car flipped it hit a tree at 75 miles an hour is is paying 300 dollars or 500 dollars a speeding ticket is that really going to be a deterrent jeff if the speeding was done by any other regular system um we would receive fines etc why should he be treated any differently well that at least Los Angeles authorities say no, that he's not being treated differently. They say that in situations like this, they do not, as a general course, they don't give tickets unless the the act occurred in front of a law enforcement officer or there were witnesses to testify. So they're saying he's not being treated differently. They're saying to give him a citation would be treating him to at at a higher level. Apparently they, and at least that's what they say. Now, maybe there's examples that say that that's not the case, but um, nothing. Jeff, as always, the media tries to make something more out of this than it really is. There is no witness. They were going um, solely off the technical information they got from the car. The guy has clearly suffered enough. I guess that's kind of the way I, I look at this as well. Jeff, for me, I think you should get a ticket. Why? Because if it had been anybody other than Tiger Woods, they would have not they would have gotten a ticket. Well that's that's the question. Um, you know, is would other people have gotten that? And to me, you treat him like you would treat other motorists. You don't treat him more you know, more significantly or more leniently because he's Tiger Woods. And Los Angeles authorities are saying, for right or wrong, we don't do this. In these single-car accidents where there's no witnesses to this, you know, and we go back and we use, like, the black box on the car to do the accident reconstructions, we don't issue tickets. Now, if somebody had been hurt, it would be a different story, I have no doubt. If there had been a passenger in the car who'd been injured, well, I, I think then it's a different sort of story, and you'd probably be talking about more than just a speeding ticket. But in this case, the only the only victim 
quote unquote victim was was Tiger Woods. I, I you know, our our texts are about split fifty fifty on this. I guess I look at it. and I always kind of ask, you know, what what is the what is the point? Yes, you could give him the ticket, and yeah, he could pay three hundred or four hundred dollars. But big picture, um, big picture, I, I think. Tiger Woods, if he hasn't learned, if this doesn't cause you to learn your lesson about driving in a reckless fashion, a $400 speeding ticket isn't going to change the dynamic. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. Please don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. Brewers baseball coming up in about, oh, a half hour or so. Uh, great game yesterday. Just, I mean, Brandon Woodruff, I'm going to tell you, opening day and yesterday, the guy looks like he is the real thing. And I'm, um, I... I feel better about the Brewers than I think some people do. I, I actually I think that they're going to be competitors all year. Now they're going to win the World Series. Well, I don't know if they've got enough horsepower for that, but I, I think if players have bounced back years and it looks like Christian Yelich is starting to regain his form, I think one of the keys for how far the Brewers are going to go, and this is just from my perspective as a fan, is how well Lorenzo Cain does. I think they really missed him last year, big time, and I, I think I mean it. it it took him a while. It's it's tough when you're at his age to to essentially miss an entire year and then come back. But I mean, yesterday, you know, two home runs. I think I think a lot of, it's the question of how far the, the Brewers go. I think a lot's going to depend on on how well Lorenzo Kane does. And of course, again, you need bounce back years and you need people to start playing back. Last year was, I think, just a weird year, and I think a lot of people underperformed. You need people to start playing back to their career norms. And obviously, you know, Christian Yelich is, is the key, but Lorenzo Kane, I think, is extremely important as well. And it was great to see him hit two home runs, including that three-run home run in the 10th inning. All right. I would not do this the way that UW-Madison is doing it. I think when it comes to taking classes, you should either have to decide up front whether it's going to be pass-fail or whether you're going to get a a grade. Let me explain. Um, How well you do in college, a lot of times, especially if you want to – if you want to go on to law school or medical school or get an MBA or things like that, uh, it's, it's very, very competitive, and a lot of it depends on your grade point average. So you get X amount of points for your grade point. If you get an A in most places, that, that's that's like a four points, and then like a B is three points, et cetera, et cetera. So right now we're in a COVID world, and I'm the first one to acknowledge that, you know, COVID and the virtual learning has screwed up a lot of people and they've thrown a lot of things. That it, it's, it's made stuff a little bit more difficult. At UW in particular, they are very concerned also with the psyche of the students because they made the decision not to have spring break this year. I think the thinking was, you know, we, we, we're worried. We don't want the kids you know, going to Florida or California or Texas and hanging out at South Padre Island and or going to Miami and getting in those those big things and coming back and giving other people COVID. So, you know, what they decided to do is we're just going to blast through it. We're, we're going to continue going through this. All right, that that's all well and good. But now because, well, I mean, here's the headline in the local newspaper last week. UW-Madison and other schools canceled spring break. Now their students are mentally worn out. 
Okay. Oh, the, the, the poor kids. They're they're mentally worn out because they you know they just have to you know plug through like like other people do. And I'm not against vacations and stuff, but really. So in order to deal with and perhaps alleviate the mental stress, here's what they've done. They've given students the option of getting a letter grade or um, getting or going pass fail or dropping the class without without any consequences at all. All right, so you'd have three choices. You could go the traditional way where you get the letter grade or you can decide that, hey, I want to go pass fail or I'm not comfortable with what's going on in the class, so I'm going to drop it. So they have those three options. Well, here's the kicker, though. You don't have to decide that until after you've gotten your final grade. Under the policy, once students have received their final grades this spring, they can then make the decision to either accept the grade or they can replace the grade with the designation of satisfactory, in other words, pass. And in case if you choose the pass route, you get um, you get credit for it. You get like the three credits or whatever. But your your grade, you, you don't have this affect your GPA. Alternatively, if you fail the class, you can decide university disruption, no credit. So in other words, you can fail the class, and then you can simply decide, okay, I, I just I, I'm not going to take it. I, it's got a do over. I'm going to pretend it didn't exist. But you have you don't you don't have to make these decisions until after you find out how you did. All right, let's tee this up. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, I did okay at school, but I will tell you I, I think I would have done a lot better in school if they would have allowed me after I knew how I did in my classes, if then I got the decision, okay, well, gee, Jeff, this one semester, you, you got six A's and a C, which was true. You got six A's and a C. If I got the idea saying, I don't want that C on there. Here, I'm, I'm going to take that. I passed it. I'm going to take it as a pass. Now does my grade point average be based on the, the six A's? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If because of the pressures of COVID, and how demanding this is, and the kids don't get a spring break, and all those things, and this is just so tough. If you want to give them the option of, again, opting, changing from, like, the letter grade to a pass-fail, or opting to just, like, like quit the class, oh, okay, that's fine. But shouldn't you have to do it before you know how you did in the class? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and is this fair in the competitive sense to the, the kids who are concerned about their class rank and they're concerned about their GPA if people who otherwise would have gotten a C or a D gets to simply say, okay, this is like a do-over. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to give this option to, to students, okay, I understand that. But shouldn't you have to do it before you knew how you did in the class? We discuss in just a minute. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, if you want to make a COVID concession to kids who are are studying at UW Madison, oh, and you want to give them the option of, hey, take the course, pass, fail instead, or drop the course with no consequence. All right, I, I'm okay with that. 
but shouldn't you have to do it before you get your, your final grade? Jeff, as the requirements to get an undergraduate degree go down, many employers will be looking for more qualifications beyond that initial degree. I've just now learned this the hard way, is I'll have to get a master's degree to stand out in my really competitive career field. Jeff, we have a student at UW-Madison, and I'm extremely disappointed in the school about this decision. The announcement was made last fall that there would be no spring break, and they lengthened the winter break by a week and gave the students time off then. Everyone who registered for classes knew what the semester would look like. The fall semester doesn't have a week off. How is the spring semester different than the fall? They didn't offer the great options for the small for the fall semester. Anyone who registered for classes knew what the semester would look like. If it wasn't going to work for them, then they shouldn't have registered in the first place. When will these students be held responsible for their actions and learn lessons if things don't go as planned? That's from Karen in you know, Green Bay, which I think is a very, very valid point to all this. And and that first of all, that this idea that, okay, we're going to start a week later, but you're not going to spring break, and, oh, this is causing so much sp- stress. Okay, well, we'll wait till wait till these students get out in the real world and they have to deal with what's really going to be stress, which is, all right, you know, maybe the first year you work, you you don't get any vacation. Or maybe you're not going to be able to take vacation because you've got a job that is demanding or you've got a job that, you know, you, you don't work, you don't get paid, or you've got sales quotas to meet or whatever. So this idea that, oh, we have to make all these concessions because, well, you, you didn't get spring break. It's just you, you, it makes you want a head explode. But again, that that's okay with me. If you if you decide we we want to we want to allow students, we recognize that this is virtual learning. And Jeff, you're one of the people that talk about how virtual learning is just it's not good. Absolutely. So it's one thing if you want to give people the option, I think, of going pass-fail, or if you want to say you can drop a class now if you don't think you're doing well. And let's face it, I mean, by this time in the semester, most people know where they are in the class. My guess is there's been, you know, pop quizzes and there's been tests and stuff, and the people know how they're doing as they're moving along. So if you want to say, okay, look, here's the deal. By, you know, April 15th, you have to decide whether you're going to drop the class and we'll let you drop the class, no consequences. If you want to go pass fail, go pass fail. That's fine. No consequences. But, but once you pass that deadline, seems to me you should have to live with your choices, not, gee, I thought I was going to get a B. I actually got a C minus. I don't want it. I'm just going to switch to pass fail. That's where I think the issue is, and that's where I think it's unfair to the kids that are doing the work and are succeeding in an admittedly challenging environment. And the idea that we've got to do this because the poor children didn't get a chance to um, didn't get a chance to uh, go to spring break. I mean, give me a break. Jeff, create a card. Who needs real credentials and um, standards? Um, Jeff, this is from Dan and Beloit. If they have to be a full-time student, get their financial aid, and they drop classes, will that affect their financial aid? Uh, I, I don't know. Do they still have to pay for the class if they drop it? Yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. You you don't get a rebate on that. So, yeah, they, they, they still have to pay for it and presumably have to end up taking it again. But I just think at some point in time, you, you have to protect the field. And the kids that are doing the work and are succeeding – 
This hurts them by allowing other people who are not doing as well to essentially opt out and have no consequences for that. And that's that's what I think is wrong about this. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brewers baseball coming up in about 15 minutes. It's opening day in St. Louis. Brew producing the show today and always. Were you a Boy Scout when you were a kid? Oh, gosh. I think I did it for, I don't want to say two years. I, I did it for one. Um, the only thing I can really remember from doing it is carving into soap, maybe whittling sticks, and making rope. This is Boy Scouts, not Cub Scouts. You know what? It might have been Cub Scouts. Might have been. That sounds more like that. Yeah. Okay. My, my dad was an Eagle Scout, and you know, which is the, the the pinnacle in Boy Scouts. And I think one of the many things that uh, one of the many reasons that was a disappointment to him is I, I never made it that far. I was I was in Boy Scouts, and you, know, you go through the different things. And I I, was, I got you need like twenty some merit badges to get to be Eagle. I should know that off the top of my head, but I I think I was either a Star Scout or a Life Scout. But I, I didn't I didn't make the I didn't make the duration. But I, I'm a big believer in this, and for years and years, up until a couple of years ago, I used to um, MC the, the Potawatomi Area Boy Scout Council, which is kind of Waukesha. They have a big event. Um, it used to be, it, it was always at the, the country, and I forget what they call that right now, but it's just a huge event, and they'd bring in all the Eagles, the kids who got their Eagle Scouts, and I, I used to talk about it a lot because I found it to be extremely life-affirming because, you know, we talk so much about you know the the stuff that that's that's wrong in society and and we we tell the stories about the 16 year old kid who just got off a of probation who steals a car and blows through a red light and hits and kills somebody at 80 miles an hour and we lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of people out there doing really really constructive stuff and there's a lot of good kids and that it was always I love doing that event and I'm seeing it back before covid and stuff when we were allowed to have these big events cuz you'd sit there on the stage and you'd see like one young man after another come up and they'd get these diff- they they do these different projects and I, I i thought it was great and even though i wasn't an eagle scout myself i just i, I appreciated the people that had the stick to itness to do that i bring this up because um there's a new development this year um a couple years ago boy scouts changed their name to scouts bsa it used to be boy scouts of, of america they changed their name to scouts bsa and they started admitting females for for the first time. Now, let, let's be honest. The reason they did it was because it's been tougher and tougher to attract young people to, to scouting. It, it's just there, there's so many different demands and things like that, that and so many different options. You, you had membership in scout troops that were going down. And so one of the ideas was let if we open it up to, to girls in addition to boys, one of the things we're going to be able to do is we're going to increase membership. Now, this created a lot of angst among Girl Scouts of America who was struggling to to get kids in as well and clearly this move siphoned some of the girls um, away from Girl Scouting and I think there might even be some lawsuits floating around re- with regard to this but I, I remember when they first announced it and I was I was sort of ambivalent on this not because I, I don't think girls should have this kind of experience but because I, I, I do think that there's there, there's a value to like the Boy Scouts versus the value to the Girl Scouts, but but they made the decision, and I'm willing to acknowledge that you know as time has gone on, I, I think I I might have been too hard on Boy Scouts for making this decision. And I bring this up because, interestingly enough, um, four girls in southeastern Wisconsin have have now become 
the the first southeastern Wisconsin class of of girls to win Eagle Scouts awards. And it, it's again, it's it's very very difficult. To, to become an Eagle Scout. You have to have a lot of longevity. You have to do all these different activities. You have to do a project. It, it's, a, it's a very, very cool thing. And now you're starting to see young women that are doing it just as as well. And I think typically there's a story in the local paper about this. And, you know, what, what most of the girls say is that their impetus was in, in watching their brothers and stuff who participated in this. And they kind of thought, well, you know, we, we can do it. Um, so, you know, why can't? You know, why can't others? So these are the first handful of people in southeastern Wisconsin, 35 female Eagle Scouts throughout Wisconsin, nearly 1,000 nationally. But it's it's a very, very cool thing. And I think what they're finding is that their Boy Scouts has figured out a way to accommodate girls into the scouting program, and they figured out a way to do that without changing the, the basic character. They I think, you know, when I've I've talked to girls who are interested in this, but their, their interest is, hey, we, we want to go camping, and, and, and we, we want to do a lot of the outdoorsy type of things that, that is emphasized by Boy Scouts that hasn't necessarily been a priority for Girl Scouts. Now, maybe that says that Girl Scouts should be changing their priorities. That That's all well and good as well. But I think it's very, very cool, and as far as I can tell, that the scouting experience for boys has not diminished, and now you have young women who are reaching some of the, the very highest levels, including four in southeastern Wisconsin who become Eagle Scouts. And um, my hope is at some point in time, at some point in time, they can go back to having some of these like, giant Eagle Scout celebrations and ceremonies, and hopefully the folks at Boy Scouts will think enough to, or Scouts BSA, think enough to invite me back, because I, I really I do miss that experience and seeing all those great kids. And if you've got some young women mixed in with the guys, that's going to be okay as well. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Brewers baseball in just a couple moments. Don't know what the weather forecast is like in uh, St. Louis. I know there was a chance for rain, but as far as I know, the game is going to occur. And uh, Brewers off three and three. I and mean, look, playing Minnesota. Minnesota's a tough team. They are probably the favorite. Well, them and the Chicago White Sox are the favorite to win their division. Cubs are always tough playing at Wrigley. So I mean, Brewers three and three, not bad out of the box. Uh, this will be an interesting test uh, this weekend in St. Louis. All right, just one story from the world of politics. Right now, the U.S. Senate is split fifty-fifty, and what that means is if there's a tie vote, the the vice president uh, Kamala Harris gets to make the gets to make the decision. Um, regardless, though, the Senate has these rules with regard to filibusters. So unless you can get 60 votes, you can use the filibuster, you can use these procedural ways to stop stuff from from uh, being passed. I mean, the reason you got the Affordable Care Act was that there were 60 Democrats in the U.S. Senate. But for a lot of the sweeping changes, unless as long as you've got the filibuster, the minority party, in this case the, the 50-50 party, can stop the big changes from going through, assuming 
all the members of their their party, you know, don't don't defect. Well, one of the things that's been kicked around, and the vice president who and the president who for years and years was a big supporter of the filibuster, is now saying, well, I think maybe we need to take a look at, at this, and maybe we should consider changing it. Well, here's one of the developments: the um, there is a conservative senator, uh, Joe Manchin, out of West Virginia. West Virginia is it, he's a he is a a blue politician in a red state and and he's always one of these sort of swing votes and you know he announced yesterday that he he will not support any changes to the Senate filibuster rules. This is a huge blow to President Biden it's a huge blow to the other Democrats because what they were trying to do they were hoping that hey if we can get our 50 Democrats to stay united and we can then pass some rule that will change Senate procedures to do away with the filibuster, which would allow us to ram all sorts of stuff, all sorts of policy measures. We'll be able to ram it through the Senate and also through the House and get it to Joe Biden's desk. But the key to that is changing the filibuster rules, which, as far as I know, no Republican support. So Joe Manchin, he's now come out and said, even though I'm a Democrat, I'm not signing off on any changes. My guess is there's a hand full of other Democrats who felt the same way. But for a lot of the stuff that Biden's talking about, some of the big corporate tax increases and things like this, this makes it a lot more difficult to do if they're not able to get rid of the filibuster. And the way it stands right now, they're not going to be able to get rid of the filibuster. Okay, that music means I am out of time. Brewers baseball coming up in just a couple minutes. I am back 12 noon tomorrow when we do this all again. Have a great Thursday. Stay dry. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.